Good morning. Have you all heard, have you heard the rumor that the sermon's really long? The text would tell you don't worry about it, okay? We're in Matthew chapter 6. I do, though, have to clear up a couple of things first. Uh, rumors that have gone, because some of our members have created a rumor about me that's untrue, therefore I have to clear this up. I found this out Thursday, I was driving to Harrisburg, had to be there for something, and my truck just went out. The alternator went out, and it had no power, so I had to cruise where I could, I had to coast where I could coast. And I coast into that fireworks world just past Lawson on Stadium. And uh, it's, it's across the street from seductions. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm trying to tell people where I am because somebody's got to pick me up to, to be at this place. And Michael very graciously rescues me there. But I have to tell him where I'm at. And I'm across the street from seductions. He didn't know where Fireworks World was. That's terrible when the youth minister knows where seductions is, but not Fireworks World. <laughs> anyway. So I park it there, and I get with LaVon, and I tell her uh, on the phone, I tell her to have John Henry, if he would, to go take it to, to a mechanic. Well, I pick it up later that day, and the mechanic is laughing. And I said, what's so funny? It's, it's an alternator. It was expensive. That ain't funny. He said, no, I hear they picked this up in the VIP parking place of seductions. <laughs> and I said, that's not where it was. He said, that's where the tow truck guy said it was. Somebody's spreading rumors about me, and I'm telling you, we've got to clear this up now. Before I got a chance to clear that up, John Henry's looking at me this morning, just giving me a wink, just kind of doing this the whole time. <laughs> it was not at Seductions. It was Fireworks World, church. I just want you to know the truth, and the truth will set me free. All right? That's just what I want you to know. August 12th, I want you to say it with me, August 12th. It is Super Sunday. What's August 12th? Yes, we've got Back to School Bash that night with David Shannon from Freed Hardeman. Great speaker. You're going to love him. But while we have him that night, we also have him that morning. We're going to make it like a Friends Day. So please, right now, be inviting some people. He is a good enough speaker that people will be familiar with him in the area. I urge you to pack this place. One service that morning. One service. We have a combined adult class in here with David Shannon, and then we'll have uh, the worship service. Just one that morning. Pack this place as, pa as tight as it can and have a great time. So if you've got friends and if you've got family who do not attend here, please encourage them. If they only come once this year, make it August 12th, okay? That's a big deal. We are in Matthew chapter 6 here in just a moment. By the way, raise your hand if you're going to church camp this week. Raise your hand real high. Lots of you are going to have a great time in that 180 degree heat. All right. The Bible tells me so. Matthew chapter 6, read very ably a moment ago by Dr. Carlton, and it's a passage that we all are familiar with. Don't be anxious. Jesus says it three times. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. And a lot of people will read this passage and walk away feeling like different. Some people walk away feeling guilty. 
He just gave the 11th commandment, don't be anxious. And when I am anxious, I feel guilty like I'm sinning. And yet very few of us feel like we can control the anxious thoughts and the worries that come into our minds. Maybe you walk away from this passage feeling guilty. Or maybe you feel like you're being reprimanded in this passage. I mean, look at verse 30, O ye of little faith. And verse 32, you know what? When you think this way, you're just like the unbelievers. Is Jesus like slapping them on the hands so that you walk away from this part of the Sermon on the Mount feeling like you've just been spanked? Or maybe, maybe you walk away feeling a little bit mocked. All the implied answers that are in this passage, these, these, wor- these, these, these questions, the questions that, that you know the answer to, but you ask them to make people feel bad. Like when your parents say to you, well, if everyone else jumped off a bridge, would you? Well, that's a stupid question, right? But it's to make you feel like you've just done something really, really foolish. Is that the way you read this passage? All week long, I've been trying to figure out what is the tone of Jesus in this and how should we walk away from this? We all know, we all know the power of anxiety to overcome us. To have these thoughts that come in and disturb the peace, these thoughts and these concerns that overtake our minds and render us incapable of having a peace of mind, to have this uneasiness, this mental distress, all because of some potentially possible maybe things that might happen that are disturbing. Maybe in the middle of the night you wake up and you wonder how that decision you made is going to affect the people in your life and your mind goes wild. Or you have a new teenage driver who's now driving around Jonesboro all by themselves for the first time and your mind goes wild. Or you got that pain in your right side that's been there for two or three weeks and it doesn't go away and your mind goes wild. We all know what it's like. Will the chemo work? Will my cancer treatments continue to work? Will the money hold out? Will my kids find a group of people that they can experience belonging with? Will Michael D. lead all our campers into a bear den? That one might happen. The rest of them probably not. Some of these are realistic things that could happen, and some of them are far-fetched, but our minds create a reality where it could happen. And I have to insert a little paragraph here. Insert this that says, guys, you know, there are, we live in a fallen world, and it affects us biologically. And some of us have chemical makeups in our brain, too much chemical or too little, and it causes us to be anxious. Not all anxiety happens because we allow worrisome, faithless thoughts to roam through our minds. Some people have chemical imbalances that require some medical attention. Can I tell you something, church? The days of looking at people who take medicine for this kind of stuff and saying, well, if you just would buck up and if you would just have more faith and if you would just pray more you'd have this fixed is past there are people who need medical things like this they don't need to come to church and feel shame they don't there are some reasons in a fallen world where you might have to take a little something to kind of ease that chemical makeup to where you can handle things don't let faith cause you to stubbornly live without the help that we in a world where God lets us be stewards of our resources have given us ways to overcome them at the same time 
you must know that the Christian life is a battle of the mind. And there are things, there are concerns that so overwhelm your mind that you can, with truth, overcome. There is a spiritual element to our anxiety. And we are responsible for doing battle at the level of our minds. So don't un underestimate what faith can do, but don't overestimate it here either. And no one doubts the power of our thoughts to affect our mental lives. There's this worry or this concern that enters your mind and dominates you so much that you become consumed by it and imbalanced by it. And it, it, it could lead to a kind of paralysis. Do you remember going to that first college class? In every class you took, you had that first college class where you looked at the syllabus and all the demands of the semester, and you sat, went back to your dorm room, and you sat there, and you vegetated out. There ain't no way I can do three papers and all these tests and all this thing. The whole There's no way, and you sit there paralyzed. I hear it this way in college students. I've got three papers. There's too much for me to do to get done. If you'll quit talking about it and you'll do it, you'll be okay. Right? We get paralyzed by this stuff. Or maybe you start losing sleep and suddenly the fatigue follows you around and your creative juices are, go AWOL and your ability to do things is just impaired because of this fatigue because you stay up all night worried about stuff. We all know what this is like and we also know it has a spiritual component and a spiritual impact too. Just look at this one passage, the three ways that this does. Worry, Jesus says, often causes you to focus on unimportant worldly things and lose sight of eternal things. Your eyes get huge looking at this one thing, this temporal thing, and you forget that back behind this are eternal truths that anchor you to God. You can't see them because you're so fixated on this temporal thing. Let me give you an example. Out of Luke chapter 10, I'm going to use only Jesus stories. Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's house, and there's Martha going like crazy trying to get the right table set up. This fork goes here, and this fork goes here, and this fork goes here, and this spice goes into this casserole, and this. And she's so fixated on this, and she gets herself whipped up into a frenzy and mad at Mary for not helping her. Lord, tell her to help me. And here's what Jesus says. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about a bunch of stuff, and none of them are important. If Jesus drops you a postcard and says, I'm coming to your house Thursday at 1, please don't spend, for one hour, please don't spend that one hour making him cookies. Be at his feet and learn from him. There are many things you can do, but some things, some things are most important and do the most important. Don't fixate on the things that are right in front of you and miss out on the things that are always around you and important. Worry makes you do that. It makes the significant insignificant, and it makes the insignificant the only thing on your mind. But worry also doesn't work, and it causes you to look at other things for help rather than God. You can get so fixated on stuff. And suddenly you lose God altogether. And the parable of the soils, if you remember, the farmer takes the word of God and he throws it, right? And some of it falls on rocky soil, never does sprout up. Some of it falls on this soil that, that's very shallow. And it comes up real quickly and it looks like they're really on fire for God. But then when trouble or any kind of sacrifice is demanded, they're, they're out of here. The third kind falls on thorns. 
This is how he describes it. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life getting to the ball games and making all those things and, and, and doing all these, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, choke that word and keep it unfruitful. We can be so consumed by us being able to get to all these other things that we crowd God out and worry actually does cause faith to vacate. And finally, worry can cause you to take God's resources for this day and use it on a future day so that today becomes stressful. When he's talking about the disciples, he's sending them out on a limited commission. He says, I want you to go and I want you to bear witness to me. But I want you to look at this from Matthew chapter 10. He says, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. On my account, you're going to be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you're going to say or how you're going to say it. I don't want you, I don't want you not going on this mission because you're afraid that they're going to ask you a question you don't know the answer to. We're so paralyzed by what might happen in the future that we don't even embark on this at all. And we sometimes handle tomorrow's stuff with today's energy, and then we don't have enough stuff for today. And it's called stress and worry and anxiety. There's a lot of Christians like this too. I won't even engage in a spiritual discussion with somebody because they might ask me something I do not know. So I'll avoid it altogether and we're lacking faith and our worry about what might happen causes us to miss an opportunity. So what is Jesus then doing? This is part of the human experience. We all know what this is like, and even he says in verse 32, it's totally appropriate for unbelievers to have this kind of worry, but for believers, you shouldn't. So what is he? Is he reprimanding you? Is he making you feel guilty? Is he making you feel shame? I think in this passage, he's having a pep rally. Do you remember in a good old-fashioned pep rally at school? You may have had the worst team in the history of high school sports, but at a pep rally, they made you think you were the best. We're number one. I believe that we will win. I believe we haven't won all year. Why should we win? I mean, this is a pep rally where what we do is we gather around and we remember and we recite and we go over what we believe. These are our boys playing this basketball game and this is our cheerleaders cheering on and this is the most greatest school in the history of the world. Yeah, we believe it. We whip everybody up and say, now go out there and live boldly, right? I think Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, this section, says to us, I want to give you all these powerful insights that will help you. When these moments come, when these worries enter your mind, you have ammo to knock them out of the air. You are so hyped that all of a sudden, instead of pacing, you're peaceful. Instead of being timid and shy and backing down from these thoughts in your mind, you start being bold and confident, trusting in God in these moments. And here are the thoughts he uses. If you look at the very first verse of this, this passage, verse 25, therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life. The therefore means that you've settled the issue of verse 24. You've already decided who your master is. The jury's not deliberating and nobody's still deciding and you're not taking evidence to decide, am I going to trust Jesus or not? Jesus says right here, you've already decided. Therefore, since you've decided who's on the throne of your life, you don't need to be anxious. You know who's in charge. You know who the master is. And you know how he'll take care of you. And when Jesus is Lord of your life, he's saying, 
When you've decided I'm Lord of your life, you know that he values you more than anything else on earth. You know about the birds of the air. Now I'm about to take some fruit from Kristen Addison Brown who will save every bird and sparrow in the creation of the world on Facebook. Is she here? Yeah. But can I tell you something? God knows every time a sparrow dies. And God is concerned about the daily allotment of food for sparrows. But you are so much more valuable to him than every sparrow he ever created, combined. He loves creation. I'm okay with PETA and all those people, right? I understand, but I, and tree huggers and all that stuff. I'm okay, but listen, let's figure out what the hierarchy is. His number one thing is you. That's his greatest concern and his greatest value. When he pulled back the curtain and said, you want to see the epitome of what I'm wanting? Here it is, humanity. Now, you watch these movies, these politically correct movies, even the ones that are animated, drive me crazy, trying to tell me about global warmth and all that stuff. I'm getting up global warming and all that stuff. The, the worst one is Noah, Russell Crowe being Noah. Did anybody watch that stuff? He gets on this ark, the great, that was a neat stuff, how the water piled up and all that stuff, and he gets on there, and his conclusion is, God wants creation to be left alone, and he wants all man to be destroyed because man just messes up creation. And so he's on the, he's on the boat, on the ark, thinking, how am I going to kill everybody? Because God wants this creation to be just vegetables and animals, not people. That's ridiculous. Yes, I know he created the earth first and the plants, but you know what he was doing? He was getting the nursery ready for his big project. He was getting the nursery ready for us to be able to enjoy and survive. Who in the world gets together their nursery and says, well, this nursery would be great if you could get rid of the stinky baby? Anybody do that? Let's get the paint on the walls and let's get all these theme things up there, but then the baby comes home and it smells funny, sounds funny. Let's get rid of the baby and just enjoy the nursery. Who's going to do that? Nobody does. God is crazy about you. And he loves you, and you are the epitome of everything he wanted to create. I don't care how your husband treated you. I don't care how your parents treated you, good or bad or whatever. Let me tell you the truth. God is crazy about you, and he values you more than anything else on the planet. And that tells you something else, he says. I'll provide everything that you need to survive. He knows everything you need. I want you to notice this. The Gentiles seek all this stuff they worry about. Your heavenly Father knows you need them, and he promises to take care of them. When you watch the bird, here's what the bird does. As far as I can tell, because I was watching the birds the last couple of days, the birds build a nest. I guess, they, I guess they mate because they have other birds. And then they eat, and then they sing songs, and they kind of frolic in water. That's what God created the birds for. And he says, if the bird will be what the bird does, I'll take care of all the other needs. So the bird just does what the bird does, and God takes care of all the other needs. The same thing with the flowers. The flowers come up, and I guess what they do is some kind of photosynthesis stuff, maybe something for oxygen, something for the bees, something for the beauty around it. And, and, then, and then God says, it does what it does, and then I'm going to take care of the rest. And I want you to know what he does. God says, I created humanity for you to do what I designed you to, and then I will make sure you're taken care of. 
So much so that when your major need was a spiritual one so that he had to offer his son, he didn't even withhold sending his own son to die for you. He didn't withhold that because that's what you needed. And God promised when he creates something, he will take care of its needs. He does not create it, wind it up and say, survive on your own. We serve a God who says, if I create, I will sustain, I will care for, I will nurture, and I will provide. And God will always always do that for you. And then he says, if he did not withhold his only son, is there anything he wouldn't do for us? Romans 8 says no. And if God is for you, who can be against you? That Jesus is Lord of your life, he values you more highly than anything else on earth, and he knows everything that you need, and he provides it, and he, and he tells you what your only concern needs to be. Your only concern needs to be doing what God created you for. The bird just does what the bird was created to do, and God takes care of it. The flower just does what the flower is supposed to do, and God takes care of the, the rest of it. And you were created to do what he created you to do, and he takes care of the rest of it. If we will spend our time doing what God asked us to do, he'll take care of the rest. And what he asks you to do is image him. He wants you to do the right thing, to seek first the kingdom of God. You just take care of what God created you for, he'll take care of all the rest. So do the right thing. Now this doesn't mean that we sit around and worship all the time and expect God to call the pizza in guy and deliver the pizza for us to eat. That's not what he says. There are things God, God created us to work. We know that in creation. So we get a job and we work and we support our families. And when you do your eight hours, the same as a minister does his eight hours or whatever, we've both done what God has called us to do. And then there are other things. And then when, in, in those moments, when, when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, there'll still be some concerns and some worries. What do you do about them? I want you to notice some believers in the New Testament. There'll be preachers who've told me this before. There's a difference between concern and worry. And these preachers say, I'm concerned about a lot of things, but I'm not worried about anything. And I'm sitting there going, what's the difference between concern and worry? The Greek word for the, both those words is the same. Let me give you some examples. Next screen. Here's Paul outlining all the things he's done. He's been in shipwrecks, and he's been stoned and whipped so many times. And he says, and apart from all other things, there's this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Every day, I've got this burden of the churches that's this overwhelming anxiety. Now, here's my question. In light of what Jesus says, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, is Paul sinning when he is anxious for the churches in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? If Jesus says, don't be anxious, and he says, I've got the anxiety of all the churches on me, isn't he going against what Jesus said? What does Paul do with his anxiety? In 2 Corinthians alone, it says this. He prays every day for them. He writes them, obviously, a letter sharing his concerns, and he promises to visit. And so here's a Christian who has all these concerns for these, these people of this church, and he says, I want you to know it creates anxiety in me, but I'm going to do the Christian thing with them. It's not going to paralyze me. It's not going to make me lose sight of God. I'm going to do what God would have me do with my anxiety. I'm going to pray about this, and I'm going to visit, and I'm going to encourage, and I'm going to write, and I'm going to do what I can and leave the rest to God. That's what a Christian does with the worry that he's got. 
Notice what Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 5, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And the third one, all again, don't be anxious about anything. Can anybody define what anything means? What does anything mean? It means anything. This is real complicated. Anything. What does not what is not included in anything? Nothing. Everything is in, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make your requests be made known to God and then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. How do you instead of pacing how do you have peace? You pray. If you, as a Christian, do the right thing, you're the kingdom citizen trying to seek first the kingdom, and you have anxiety or have some great concerns that threaten to overwhelm your heart, what you are to do is you are to pray them out. And we need, as a church, to be careful that we don't minimize this as if it doesn't matter. Just in the last few weeks with the Whitleys losing Veda, I can't tell you the number of times I'm sitting here going, I want to do something. Have you thought this? I want to do something. And there's nothing to be done. There's nothing that you can do that would fix anything. And yet you pray and you say, well, all I can do is pray and we've got to change our vocabulary because that's a terrible way to put it. As if that's all I'm doing. When you take some time in your morning, as your morning starts, you got that cup of coffee or whatever, and you go out on your back porch and you sit down and you say, God, we've got to have a talk. I want to bring before your attention. I want to spotlight somebody I care about. I want you to give special attention today to the Whitleys as they go through their day today. It's going to be the hardest thing in the world. They're not doing it day by day. They're doing it hour by hour. And I want to contribute to you doing something for them. And I want to spend some time right here thinking about their dilemma, but I'm going to do it in the context of prayer. And I want you to do something about it. You've done something amazing with your concern. You've done something amazing. You've been to the creator. You've been to the sovereign of the universe. And you've asked his attention to be drawn to someone you care about in a need that's very desperate. All I can do is pray? You've just moved heaven and earth for them. That's what Christians do with their worry. One last thing, when Jesus is Lord of your life, you can trust God's timing. And this one's hardest. The, the concerns Jesus talks about, about food and water and clothing, very few of us have much worry about this. But this last one is tough. It's called the future. And that very last verse of chapter 6, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Let tomorrow take care of itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. There's no greater verse in all of Scripture. Today has enough trouble, doesn't it? Don't take on tomorrow too. The answer is to this, here's the dilemma. I don't know what I would do if that happened to me. Have you thought about that in the last couple? I don't know if something happened to my baby like it happened to them. I don't know that I would survive. And the answer is you wouldn't until you get there. God doesn't give you the resources to handle that now because you don't need it. He waits until the future and he's already there taking care of you. You don't have it right now, so don't use it right now and don't fret about that. But I know there's things coming for me, and you do too. Every one of you in here knows that you're going to lose your parents if you haven't already. A day is coming, and you know it. 
And you wonder, how am I going to handle I don't even look forward to that. I don't want to think about it. You don't have to. But when that day comes, God will give you what you need in that moment. He promises, don't worry about it now. Don't take it on now. Wait till then and I'll be there. I'll show up already right there. And some of you may lose your children. Either Melissa or me will likely go first, and one of us will be left without the other, and that does bother me a lot sometimes. It shouldn't, because I don't have the resources for that right now. I don't need them. But when that moment comes, and when that happens, God will be there for you. And I want you to know this about the Whitleys, too. They were here in early service already. They haven't missed a service since this happened. And you go by and see them, and yes, there's a forlornness there, but they're putting one foot in front of the other, doing exactly what they know to do, and they're surviving this. And it's almost unbearable, y'all. Almost unbearable. But God's there, and they know it. And everyone who makes Jesus Lord of their life has this guarantee. When that stuff comes, he will be there just like you need him, but not till then. So don't take on tomorrow's stuff with the energy of today. Trust him. You'll be there. He'll be there for you when you need him. These are absolutes. You know as servants of God, if you've committed to his lordship, you know these are truths that are absolute all the time. And we don't just know them because they're in scripture. We know them because we have a fellowship. Max Merrill in the hospital right now. Do you know in 1972 he worked for City Water and Light and a boiler exploded in his presence. Burned him from the waist up. He was in the hospital two months solid. Fell 18 feet. So when I'm asking them, how are you handling this hospital stay? She kind of looks at me and says, I, I mean, this is difficult, but man, let me tell you. We've handled worse already. And God was with us then, and he'll be with us now. You ever wonder, I don't know if I could survive something like that. Well, if he's the Lord of your life, you will, because he'll be here. He'll be there. There are people in this assembly who've had difficult marriages, reaches impasses, you talk to Paul and Kim for very long, what they're going to talk about is year three. Year three was a year where they just went to war with each other, right? I think I can say that. They would tell you this. Can I tell you they've got a great relationship right now, and we all admire it, but it wasn't always that way. So if any of you in here says, you know, I've got this relationship, I don't know that we're going to withstand it. Listen to me. Don't worry and fixate about all that stuff. There are people here who will bear witness. If you'll just do the right thing and you'll just be faithful, you'll get through this. They're year three, and for Kim, probably ever since day one, probably. There are some of buried children. I've already made reference to one family, but did you know there are others? Walking out one day, Bonnie Colburn says, yeah, I experienced that. She shared that story. I just can't imagine. She's still here, coming every Sunday knowing God gets you through stuff like this. That's what him being Lord of your life means. People with death of spouses, people who've spaced. You, you may look around, nobody struggles financially like we do. That's not true. That's not true. They'll bear witness to you. God gets you through that. And parenting challenges. 
We serve a master who's made himself some, some things known. If we will do as he has asked us to do or we are created to do, he will take care of the rest. Seek first the kingdom of God and he will take care of the rest. And once you discover that he's faithful like that, you won't leave come what may. In the Old Testament, there were times when a master was so good to his servant that even when the servant had worked all his time off and was free to go, he chose to stay. The servant saw how good the master took care of him and saw that it was mutually beneficial to stay. It was not beneficial to go his own way. He found that serving the master was good work and work that was good and honest and faithful and true. And he wanted to continue working in it. And he knew that as long as he took care of the master, the master in turn took care of him. And because of that, when the day came, when the master comes and says, you can go, you don't have to stay anymore, the servant says, I want to stay. I want to be here. I've tasted that the Lord is good and I don't want to leave him. And like, like Peter was asked by Jesus when he, he gave him a very difficult teaching. He said, are you going to leave like all these others? And Peter says, and, and where will I go? Where is a better master than the one we serve, church? Where is a better deal anywhere than the one that we have? When we submit to his lordship and do his will and seek his kingdom, he takes care of all the rest. Where are you going to find a better offer? You won't. And so this master would say, well then, he takes this Ice pick all thing takes him to the doorpost and goes right through his ear and pierces his ear where we get the song, Pierce My Ear. And forever that servant belongs to that master, not because he has to, but because he wants to and can't imagine any other way. Have you discovered that when life hits, the best place to be is in service to your master? Have you found that out yet? Have you found out that you can walk away at any moment? He doesn't force you to stay. You can walk away at any time, but you don't want to. This master created you. He sustains you. He loves you. He values you more than anything else. He knows what you need, and he takes care of it. He doesn't say you'll never worry, but he does tell you what to do with it. Have you made him your master yet? There's lots of reasons you should, and this one is right at the top. If Jesus is not the Lord of your life, the one calling the shots and providing your needs, he should be, he can be, he wants to be, and he gives you an opportunity to say, yes, Jesus is Lord, and be immersed. And if that's something you're subject to this morning, why not do this? If you've done that and for whatever reason you've chosen to walk away and you know it was the dumbest decision you ever made and you want to come back, he's always ready to take you back. Just forgiveness comes the moment you confess your sins and you're back on the right track. He's not master of your life. Put him on the throne this morning as we stand and as we sing.